Welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. OME Talks is a webinar series where speakers from previous OME conferences repeat their sessions. This podcast gives previews of those webinars. This month, we are speaking with Lisa Ann Floyd about her session, Ideas and Inspiration for JI, Supporting the Coding Expectations in Mathematics Curriculum. So without further delay, let's get to our conversation with Lisa. We are talking with Lisa Ann Floyd. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me, David. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Uh, Lisa, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay, so uh, I guess I'll share a little bit about what I'm doing now and then kind of my journey to this point. So at the moment, I'm actually on maternity leave, um, having had a baby this summer, a baby girl, our fourth child. So she has three older brothers to protect her. Uh, So my days are quite a bit different from what I had going on over the past two decades or so. So I started teaching in Thames Valley District School Board in 2002 and actually didn't start teaching math until about five years into my career. So I always had taught computer science, but it was when I was teaching computer science that I realized that there was some special type of thinking uh, developing in my students when they are programming a computer. And I recognized it as something unique and valuable. And so I really wanted to help develop this in all of my students in all of my classes. And it was about seven years ago when I was returning from a maternity leave. I seem to do a lot of thinking and reflecting during maternity leave. So who knows what I'll do after this one. But I decided I was going to do something more about this coding stuff. And I started organizing school events involving coding. And and since um, at the time, there weren't any board initiatives that involved coding. I hosted a workshop for feeder school teachers at my high school, showing them how we can integrate coding into grades one to eight classrooms. So that was kind of a pivotal moment, I would say, for my career. And um, to this day, I'm grateful for the support of my admin who had faith in me, giving me the okay to organize such events and for my colleagues who also encouraged and supported those initiatives. And that's when I learned um, about the work of Dr. George Gadanitas. So um, Dr. Gadanitas is a math ed prof at Western University and also started teaching. Um, I also started teaching a new course at the Faculty of Education called Computational Thinking in Math and Science Education at Western. Then I did my master's in math education, took a few leaves of absences from the board to work full time on professional learning for school boards around Ontario um, and beyond. And as I was finding, I was constantly reading about research and engaged with a few research projects with math education profs. I was inspired to pursue all of this further by applying to do my PhD. And so now I'm a PhD candidate at Western University uh, under the supervision of Dr. George Gadanidis, and my focus is on coding and math teacher education. So in the meantime, um, I've been doing some consulting and also I just returned part-time um, to the classroom um, to and, you know, had the opportunity to put all these newfound ideas and research into action. And then when I return to the school board after my maternity leave next year, I'll be working as the 9 to 12 math learning coordinator for Thames Valley. Um, so I'm really excited to begin working with a new team and supporting students and teachers with the new grade math course, which, as you know, includes a coding component. So what you're saying is your career path has been straight. <laughs> Anything but. <laughs> I, f- I feel like, especially people who are involved in coding, that is more the norm than 
than elsewhere. Like you, you're like you tend to go all over the place because I think you can find connections to coding in just about every every uh, avenue. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I feel like it's it kind of has a bit of a grassroots um, start to get um, where it is today. It just sort of people recognize it as being um, valuable. And then they started to naturally incorporate into their classes. And now, thankfully, it's it's actually mandatory. Yeah, I don't like that word mandatory, but I like uh, I, I like the word required almost. Mandatory sounds so off-putting, but like required, I think it's a required, like a required reading, you know, like that sounds, I think coding should be required reading. And I think we're finally getting to that, that point. That's a good way of uh, looking at it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, now you spoke at our, our last OME conference. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, how you either uh, first heard of OME or got involved with OME. Sure. So I had done a few presentations with OAME chapters in the past. And then, as you mentioned, more recently presented at the virtual session this past spring, which, by the way, was amazingly organized. But most of my engagement with OAME is through checking out the resources and connecting with members. So I think it's great that there are so many people who are passionate about math education, you know, always wanting to learn more. And also just that there are so many incredible educators um, and members who are willing to share their ideas and experience. I know I've certainly appreciated this, and I know myself as an educator and my students have benefited from the work OAME has done to support math education in Ontario. And I'm impressed with how much OAMI has produced, especially over this past year, uh, to help with the new math curriculum in grades one to eight, as well as grade nine. I was just uh, looking through um, this week some of the new resources that have been created. So thank you to you, David, and to the entire association for all um, that you do. I know I've seen the tremendous impact you've all had in classrooms around Ontario. It's really appreciated. Well, I would love to take credit for it all, uh, but I can't. Uh, I feel really the same way as you. I mean, that's how I really got involved with OME, was seeing a lot of the resources, and it has always been a go-to for me. Uh, and like you said, this, this past year, it's been uh, a lot of resources to support the, the new curriculum, and, and that's really uh, been a great project that the OME has, has taken on. So at last year's OME, at the virtual conference, uh, you did a session called Ideas and Inspiration for JI to support uh, for coding expectations in the new math curriculum. So you're going you're gonna to actually repeat that session for us at our OMA Talks webinar in a few weeks. And I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of an idea of what our participants are going to see in that session. Sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to share. Um, so my hope is that this webinar is going to inspire teachers with concrete examples um, and ideas to try out or take and then adapt for their own classroom. Uh, I love when I share an idea or example with a teacher, and then they reshare it back afterward with me. And it's way cooler than what my original idea was. And often students will will take it too and, and change things. And then sometimes a teacher will share that back with me. So I hope to, that will happen with this webinar. Um, so I'll share some applications that teachers can have students alter as well. So sharing links to, to programs that have been started. And I find that altering code is much more useful and really hones in on the curriculum expectations rather than getting caught up in all the nitty gritty um, 
parts of coding. Uh, so I also will share some ideas for assessment and some resources that include links to some how-to videos for students and teachers. And a lot of the resources I've created are shared freely and in a comprehensive way on the TVO Coding in the Classroom website. Um, so they're, they're cross-strand as well. So they connect with expectations in multiple strands in the new curriculum. So in the webinar, we'll look at how coding can enhance understanding in algebra, spatial reasoning, um, data, and financial literacy. Most of the examples will be using the Scratch application, a little bit of links, um, micro bit, as well as an idea for incorporating a website that um, helps kids to understand what machine learning is all about. So um, again, I'll share an array of resources and ideas to get teachers excited about what could be, uh, and maybe something um, useful will be there for them to, to grab from. And I'll share all the links to all these resources as well, so they can access them whenever um, they want. So um, when you think about the participants coming to this webinar, um, what kind of level of coding skill would you expect them to have? I tried to make it so that uh, it would be for any level. So for those who are just starting out, there's some um, ideas I think that they could use right away. And then for those with a little bit more experience with coding, um, they can you know take that as well. What, what's so great about coding is that it does tend to have that low floor and high ceiling. So even as a teacher, if you have less experience, there's always something more that you can, um, or there's lots of starting points. And then if you have more experience, there's, there's always more that you can be doing. Um, so it's, it, you know, it tends to help naturally support differentiation, even for teachers. Um, but certainly students will are of all different um, levels of experience are challenged with coding. And I find that the teachers also are challenged, but get excited um, and engaged in real math thinking. Uh, what I've noticed too is that um, even teachers who might not have much experience with coding, but maybe they've been teaching mathematics for many years, I see that they end up having a lot of aha moments where you know they realize they've never really looked at math in this way, but coding allows for that or affords that. So uh, hopefully they'll find that when they um, join us for the webinar. Now, um, I mean, coding having been placed in the curriculum essentially from uh, uh, the beginning to the end now, uh, you know, and already into grade nine, and I suspect it'll be it'll be incorporated into the grade 10, 11, and 12 curriculums. I mean, how do you approach a teacher who is, is going to be reluctant to, to jump on the coding bandwagon? So... You know, teacher comfort levels definitely um, are, you know, often a barrier when it comes to coding. And um, a lot of the work that I've done when working with school boards is to get teachers engaged in coding right away um, and also have them witness it in action. Um, so when we're introducing something new for teachers, that buy-in can be challenging. Um and but teachers should look critically at new things that we're asking them to do and not just accept it. Um, they want to know how can it help their students. And some teachers wonder, understandably so, is it just another trend? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of cognitive investment in learning to code. And in order for teachers to want to incorporate this into the practice, they need to see how beneficial it is. So I think if you allow them the opportunity to see it in action, and if it's done right, um, you know, in a meaningfully and meaningful and thoughtful way, it 
it seems uh, almost magical. And the teachers will see that it seems to naturally support, as I mentioned, differentiation. Um, students are challenged, they're excited, um, they get engaged with real math thinking. Um, and in fact, we've seen that it seems to help understand their enhance their understanding of mathematics. And so even, and as I mentioned, a lot of those teachers um, will have those aha moments. So I, I think just letting them see what could be. And I was really excited when the new curriculum came out um, because finally, it's not just for a few students, you know, pockets here or there, or after school clubs or expensive coding camps for just a select few. Uh, I believe it's made it more equitable now because all students will have the opportunity um, to learn to code. And I also think it's great that teachers are going to be learning to code. And girls are going to see their teachers who identify as women coding um, because so many um, computer science teachers in high school are male. So they're going to have a chance to see others um, do it as well. And I think the best thing we can do, um, despite the initial, you know, fear that coding might bring us is, um, and of course, it's even more challenging because they're learning something new during a pandemic. Um, but the best thing we can do is to show our students that we aren't afraid to try something new and to push our thinking. And I think sometimes we often underestimate what our students can do and um, everyone sh should have the chance to be challenged. I think that it shift, the shifts in our approach to our practice that um, Jason spoke about in the opening OAME Talks episode from the season on de-streaming will also help support all students with learning um, how to code. So I, I don't think it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say that it will be. It most certainly will not go perfectly. It never does. It's just something we have to accept. But it requires um, some changes in our mindset. Um, but of course, our students are worth it. And so I wonder if you can give me an example of like a should do for someone who is uh, starting to code. Uh, with their students? So one of my favorite activities I'll be sharing, uh, I've shared this a lot uh, and I, I've tried other starting out activities, but this one is the one I always come back to and it's um, creating shapes using code. Everybody feels comfortable with two-dimensional shapes. Um, so grades one to grades eight and their teachers. And so if, when we introduce students to, you know, can you use what we call or what Seymour Papert, um, who might be considered the grandfather of computational thinking. Um, so he had students programming um, shapes like squares, triangles with code. And when they do that, they're 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 having to use different um, coding constructs, and they end up kind of seeing the shapes in a different way because they're having to walk the shape. So they're using, you know, their body to imagine how to create these shapes. And then they're putting it um, onto the computer using code. So I think that's a really good starting point for teachers. You end up incorporating, you know, the grades one to four curriculum really quickly because you're doing sequential, like that. we've got some grade one stuff, we're doing concurrent, we're doing loops and repetition in grade three and then grade four we've got these things called nested loops which they'll learn all about when they watch the webinar or some people might have um, checked it out since it is in the curriculum but just with these simple activities and they can do all of that and more so i've done that same activity with grades ones but also in grades eight and nine so it's it's beautiful because it can be extended in so many different ways so that would be a great starter activity if people are looking for something to try out. And I share links to, I, I had my um, 
one of my children uh, create some YouTube videos for me. I actually was doing them myself one day and I kept making mistakes and I, I was frustrated. And he's, well, first he said, well, mom, they need to see you make mistakes because that's what we do. And I was like, good point. But he said, but I'll do it for you. <laughs> so he was, he was uh, eight, I think at the time. And, um, and he went ahead and, and made these little mini videos. So I have him explaining, you know, how to do these shapes. Um, and he was just listening in. So that's how he learned how to do it. So there's lots of resources that I'll share related to that activity. I think that's one of the things that I've always liked about coding is that uh, your mistakes are immediate and maybe not obvious, but you, you get uh, immediate feedback about how good your code is. And uh, I've always, that's always something I've appreciated about coding. Now you, you touched on one thing that I think is, is a dilemma that we have. I, I really like the way the, the, curriculum is laid out through the grades, but because we are um, starting it, well, this is now our second year, we have to do a lot of catch up, especially if it's a, you know, a grade eight teacher, or a grade seven teacher, you have to, you know, if you, if the kids had come up through the grades, they would have had all this coding experience, but they don't now. And so I think a, a lot of it for some of the more uh, uh, senior teachers in elementary is about how, how do I get these kids caught up to where they're supposed to be according to the curriculum? Yeah, I think that's definitely something to consider. Uh, if and, and I'll talk about this in the webinar, but if, if you take a look at the curriculum as, as you have, because you talked about that continuum, there's a lot of repetition throughout the years and also the, that overall expectation. Um, so we are expected to teach our students the specific, but as you know, um, the overall is what we we need to ensure that we're um, evaluating, assessing. Um, so that overall, which is, you know, solve problems and create computational representations, it's the same for all of the grades. So if we focus more on that, rather than getting too caught up and, you know, making sure we cover everything, um, we have to be realistic as well. Um, because, you know, as you mentioned, the the students in grade eight wouldn't have had grades one to seven, you know, seven other years of learning to code. And same with the teachers too. Uh, so they're just starting out. They wouldn't have had that same experience. So we just have to be realistic, I think, and also focus on that overall expectation um, and not put too much pressure on ourselves. Yeah, I think that the idea of sort of cutting ourselves some slack is really important. I, I've been telling my teachers in my school, in my the middle school that I'm at, like, Think of this as more like a three-year project. Your your first year is is going to be really really kind of painful. You'll you'll get some uh, ideas that you're going to tweak in the in the second year, and by the third year you'll have some uh, a sort of a stable of ideas. And by that time, your students will also have had uh, a few years of catch up as well. So the you know we can't expect it to all go perfectly this this first. Uh, first couple of years anyways. Yeah, absolutely. We'll just iterate as we go. Like every year <laughs> we'll improve and get better and find some new ideas. Okay. So uh, I don't want to uh, give away everything that uh, you are going to be talking about. And you've been very strategic and not giving you very specific things because we do want people to come out to the, the webinar as well. Uh, so I want to thank you for uh, taking some time to talk to us today about your upcoming uh, webinar and hope to see you in a couple of weeks and hope to see everyone else out there at the OME Talks webinar. So Lisa Ann, thank you very much for coming out tonight. Thank you, David. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Awesome. 
That was Lisa Ann Floyd giving us a preview of her upcoming webinar, Ideas and Inspiration for JI Support for the Coding Expectations in the Mathematics Curriculum. That webinar will run 8 p.m. on Wednesday, October 13th, and you can register at our MCIS registration site. Links to that site and others mentioned can be found in the podcast description. Next month on the podcast, we have Carolyn Gingrich and Alita Klassen talking about their OME session, Using Portfolios to Develop Resilient Mathematicians in Grade 9. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, stay safe, and we'll be back next month.